Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. This is a carefree black nerd examination of the newest dawn of X-Men. I am your host, Rain Coleman. And man, we just gonna skip through it, man. This is House of X, Issue 5, Society. I'm not even gonna hold you up. Follow me on Twitter. Use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. So, we covering House of X, Issue 5 of 6, and... This has been a wild ass ride. So we open right up on Krakoa. Well, excuse me, the first quote is, do you want to know the real difference between them and us? Until now, we were never given a chance. Professor X, all right, so cool. Check it, we get to Krakoa. Uh, Wide shot, we zoom in on the face of Lorna Dane, dressed as Polaris. Her and her father, Magneto, are talking. Polaris decked out in her green, which I love, green hair included. Uh, Magneto is in his all white with his white hair. And we, put, we, we, we zoom in on her, pull back a bit on her and her father, then we pull back even more on this like tree of life, which seems to be beneath the surface of Krakoa. So what's happening here is Polaris is having a conversation with her dad. They're discussing humans. She says, humans? Is there any good in them, father? Well, Lorna, it is important to remember that mankind didn't really take off as a species until hunting and gathering ended, and they transformed themselves into an Argarian culture. They stopped moving around and said, this is a good place. It is fertile and ours, and from this land, we will not be moved. And that, that's the one good thing humans taught us, society. Bro, so I like that the take that we're kind of getting with the mutants in this series or run is that, yes, they are humans. They are humans who are mutants, but they're treating them truly like an other. Like just the way that they speak about humans as if mutants aren't humans who are just mutated. Like, so I like that. I like that we're kind of separating ourselves from the humans. So we uh, pull back and... We see the silhouette of Lorna and, and Eric, but then we see the silhouette far away approaching of Professor X, or I'll say Charles Xavier, and Storm. Magneto continues, Charles and I always wondered what would happen if mutants stopped being hunted, if we didn't have to run anymore, didn't have to hide. What would happen when, like the man, the greatest necessary traits in mutantdom weren't strength and aggressiveness, but intelligence, ingenuity, and creativity. And now we know. So now we pull back and we see uh, Lorna and her father once more. She says, here they come, father. Yes, here they come. Bro, let me tell you. So I'm reading this. I'm kind of live tweeting as I'm reading it without trying to give any spoilers. And I was floored. Mother freaking Eva Bell, one of my favorite characters in, I believe, the 2011-12 run of X-Men, Uncanny X-Men. I forget the creative team, forgive me, but that's where she was introduced along with um, a few other characters. But man, seeing Eva Bell, who has a very rogue-esque look with the white bangs and the brown hair, but I think because I read her in that book, when I see her, I immediately know who I'm looking at. I'm not concerned with Rogue. Rogue doesn't enter my mind. But I did want to point out that they look very similar. Uh, white women, white bangs, brown hair, you know, generic, shapely body. But it steps her, some guy who at the time I didn't know who the hell he was, some redhead who I figured was like Gene, um, a blonde white guy, and then like a real kind of thick, muscular, stocky dude who I assumed was Mondo for some reason. But we're going to get to who these five mutants are. So, they walk through this, like, I don't know, a Krakoan um, transportation I don't hub, what we've been transferring, transporting through this whole time. So, this is where stuff really takes off for me. And while I'm reading this, I'm like, I pretty much threw this damn book across the screen. I mean, across the room. So, it says, this is uh, Eric speaking to his daughter, but all this other stuff is happening in the foreground. So, he says, um, kind of listing him, Fabio Medina. Uh, that's Gold Balls. So, he was a character who, 
for me, I didn't really take him too seriously. It was like, oh, let's come up with this power, and it's really kind of useless. It's like a, a guy who can produce dodgeballs from his chest. So in this, Eric explains that seemingly he had the pointless power that he could make golden balls appear. So until recently, the only thing we knew about them was that they were a compromise of biological matter and that there was no upper limit to how many of these balls he could generate. So that's everything that we knew about Fabio leading up to this point. Then he says, we discovered that they were eggs. We pull out on this wide shot where there are four eggs that are the quote-unquote gold balls, and you have the five characters standing around one of them. Next up, we have Proteus, who uh, uses his powers with a little warp of reality. Those eggs that Fabio created become viable. After that, injecting them with preserved DNA of a mutant, which my mind immediately went to Sinister, and also the Chimera of the future. We see the red-headed character kind of injecting a um, syringe with the Sinister red diamond on it into the egg. Elixir, the life giver, kickstarts the process of cellular replication. After that, all our mutant embryos needed was time to mature. And that's where Eva Bell comes in, who makes time her slave. I've always liked her character, and I've wondered why has she not been used more. So the run that I read of her, I remember she went back in time to talk to Professor X to tell him about that like overly powered mutant who existed in Xavier's future but our present time because no one could could kill him like no one could control him and her and Xavier went and made sure that he was never born his parents never met it was a whole big thing but Xavier was like well child if you're here something is terribly wrong like why are you here I sh and she went back to the 1960s child so cool but at the end of that run she like never appeared again to my knowledge I know she aged up a bit, but that was of her own doing where like she was not on panel for either an issue or a few panels during a fight. And then she popped up again, visibly older or with a different look. So with her being able to control time, no telling how much time has passed. Uh, but yeah, so I really like her. She's one character who I've stand for since I first saw her, but because that was the only run um that i saw her in i didn't see her anywhere else it was like uh, okay well whatever so what i like about hickman is that he seems to share some of my same like faves and he um he's putting them in this book and i'm absolutely loving it uh let's see what else so after she does her little stuff uh we learned that creating life is delicate almost impossible work the truth is that on their own, these mutants would be incapable of these intricate dance necessary to pull off the Promethean feats, but hope is a great unifier. Which again, she was like the first mutant born after uh, decimation and whatnot. So all in all, I'm loving this. I'm loving the language that Eric speaks with. I'm loving the activity. I'm loving that Hickman and his team got this plan together. Like, I would love to have been a fly on the wall or in the writer's room when coming up with this. It's like, okay, guys, we need to be able to resurrect. How? And then do it in a way where it's not very comic booky in the sense that, oh, everyone who dies comes back to life eventually. Like, this gives us weight to what's going on. So now, her powers enable theirs to operate at both their peak and in unison. Separate, yes, they are great mutants, but only significant, not transcendent. Together, however, and while we're doing this, we're seeing this whole uh, light as a feather, stiff as a board ass seance going on, and we flash back to these pods. Well, he says, together, these five mutants have made us whole. And we go and repeat the same two pages of House of X issue one, and I absolutely fucking love this. The pods break, there are people who spill out. The one that's clearly Cyclops, who we kind of hinted at before. We see Xavier doing his AKA shimmy onto the, uh, to, to the front of the pod people, and he says, as he has before, to me, my X-Men. 
I fucking love it because again, I knew that that first issue, those panels would pop up again. I didn't understand in what way. And Hickman is telling this cyclical story that kind of branches off. So I, I really like when anyone, anyone who um, has an intellectual property, be it a book or a movie or whatever, I like getting thrown into the action or or picking up on a scene that we know nothing about and then having it make sense later. I love that. So uh, Lorna and her father's talking and she's like, okay, look, this is what I don't get. Isn't it just their bodies, temporarily evolved to their desired ages, perhaps even their optimal and perfected form, but it's not them, it's just a shell. So then Magneto's like, okay, child, watch. And he puts his helmet on. Now we close up on uh, Charles, who is wearing his extremely oversized cerebral head. And uh, Eric continues, all this time, everyone has misunderstood what Cerebo really was. Yes, with it, Charles could locate any mutant in the world. But that eventually became the secondary function of the machine. Now, all this time, we see kind of a continuation of Charles touching Scott's face. How his um, laser flares are kind of flaring up. He puts the visor onto Scott. And then this beautiful panel at the bottom of this page, which I would love to have a copy of and have it framed. Uh, Eric continues, the first was copying the mind, the essence, the anima of any mutant Xavier found. So he could one day put a soul back into its mutant shell, which is what he does. We see the act of him putting that soul back into Scott. And uh, he's like, as the smoke settles, he's like, look, you know, this is Charles. You know, there you are, my boy. Even knowing I could bring you back, a part of me dies when any of you do. So let's not do it again, shall we? And I love this. Now, there's a lot to be said for this resurrection, um, the moral dilemma. Um, how viable is this process? It Will it continue? If any of the moving parts fail, even just one of them, how will we continue? Is this something we should even be doing? But in this moment, I'm like, this is a victory. Again, I equated the mutants to being an allegory for black people, especially now. I'm sure you could put any marginalized people in this group and let that be the um, be the stand-in. But for me, I just I have to. So just imagining everything, all the protests, all the march for the um, unfairly murdered black people if this was something that was possible and this is very extreme science fiction ish, but it's like in the moment while reading these pages, it is possible. Keep that in mind to resurrect a black person that I will touch back on that in a, in a second here. So, um, Scott's like, Oh, did it work? Yeah, it did. You succeeded and your sacrifice was not in vain. It was a gift. And in the giving, you saved us all. Now with this, I guess you could, the argument could be made that now death is even less important or stressful than it was before because now we know there's a process to bring them back to life. I argue the very opposite. Beforehand, it was just like, oh, a writer wants to now use this character who's been dead. Let's just bring them back to life randomly. In Hickman's run, we're getting a very concrete um series of events that we know in this world to be true and to be the way to resurrect someone. That being said, if one of these things is out of whack or doesn't work, then you no longer have the formula to resurrect someone. So for me, it's actually doing the exact opposite. You're giving me a concrete, tangible thing that you can do to bring a person back to life. You're giving me the rules to resurrection. If these rules, if anything is thrown off, then either two things are going to happen. One, it's not going to work, or if it still does work, that is said to only amplify whatever event made it work. So if there's some new mutant on the scene who is like extremely powerful, well, we know that if any of these elements are not in the equation, it doesn't work. But that mutant is able to surpass all of that, then that just shows how powerful they are. I'm not sure that's the route we'll go, but taking it back to my original point, I feel as if this system, this equation, this assembly line of events that have to happen have been presented to us in a way to make this factual in this book. So by that logic, for me, 
And if you don't agree or if you do, let me know. Use the hashtag XDPod or Xavier's Dream Pod. But for me, it would seem that this would make death more stressful, more permanent, more um, uh, uh, more important, for lack of a better term. Because again, you can't just willy-nilly bring someone back to life. I, that's me. That's how I feel. So then we pull out uh, and we see... Gene and Nightcrawler, M, Mystique, Husk, Wolverine, Scott, Angel, and they're all completely nude. They're covered in this orange, like, gook. Again, think of the Matrix, the first Matrix when Keanu uh, woke up in his pod, pulled the thing out of his neck, pulled that shit out of his mouth, and threw up and had all, like, picture that. That's exactly, like, if you haven't read the book, that's exactly what's going on. So Storm and her very regal black and gold, um, Alpha Phi Alpha outfit. <laughs> she says, "On your feet, mutants. The world is not ready for the likes of your return, but Krakoa is waiting." That's the code open. We, uh, of course, we got the creative team: Jonathan Hickman, the writer; Pepe Lars, the artist; Marte Garcia, the color artist; VCs Clayton Kyles as the letterer; uh, Tom Mueller as the designer. Pepe Larza and Marte Garcia as the cover artist. This issue, issue five of House of X, is titled Society. Now, this very pride rock, African, spiritual, uh, person of color as scene that we get with Krakoa is this beautiful, immense, massive tree with branches and leaves that make a dome shape that is very pink and vibrant and bright and this humongous green trunk that is the stage where everyone walks out from and there's so many mutants that are like in the crowd and I haven't at the time of this recording like looked through and tried to figure out if there's any mutants I recognize. Um, I'm sure there are but they're there. So what happens is Storm walks out and this is so fitting. God, I love her. She says, brothers and sisters of Krakoa. I'm not even going to try to do an African accent. I'm not going to subject y'all to that. <laughs> she says, a great thing has happened today. A miracle made possible by mutant hands. The work, the great work of the five. So the five is what we're referring to. Uh, Eva Bell, Hope Summers, Fabio Medina, um, Elixir and Proteus. They are the five. They've created this new life. They've resurrected so she says, love them, for they have righted the wrongs of man and defeated our great enemy, death. And so they walk out into the crowd and everyone's like, not necessarily worshiping them. They're like celebrating them, I'll say. Um, it doesn't feel like a king atop of a throne type thing, but they take their places in the crowd. The next panel or next page, we get our naked, resurrected mutants. And Angel is so beautiful in this pic. Like... I know this is like just this is drawn this is a man's body like but him with these wings and this like ethereal descending from the sky I like that everyone looks great but him my eyes went to him specifically whatever so everyone's nude and here's Storm continuing by the power that is their birthright the five have returned these mutants thought lost to us their families and to this place their home. I see them. Do you? And the crowd chants, we see them, but do we know them? I fucking love it. Cause it's like, I, I don't, I really, I, I can't recall ever seeing anything like this in X-Men. I can't recall seeing anything like this in uh, an X-Men book. Now there may have been, but I've only seen riots. I can only recall seeing strife and pain and, 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 and drama. I don't recall there being celebration like this. Um, thinking back to the Uncanny X-Men run where Eva Bell was introduced back when the original five X-Men were time displaced. I remember the very end of that run, Cyclops in full uniform having like a press conference to the world, but also to like a group of people in front of him. It was very odd, but I think that's probably the closest that I can recall there being something of a celebration crowd instead of like a rioting crowd. So as the crowd says, we see them, but do we know them? Uh, Storm walks over to Cyclops. She says, what is your name? Cyclops, Scott Summers. And how do I know it's you, brother? 
He says, once I thought I was strong, a leader of mutants, and then you showed me what strong was. She kissed his forehead. She says, I learned from watching you. And if you recall, those of you who don't, there was a point in time when uh, Cyclops and Storm fought for leadership of the X-Men. And I believe Storm was depowered at the time. So she only had her physical capabilities, none of her mutant powers, and she won. Um, she says, this is my brother. I know him, as do you. Yes, his name is Cyclops, but he is more than that. What is he? They shout, mutant. Which, this is so beautiful. Again, it gives me so much, like, black power, black pride. I'm not going to apologize for that. That's exactly what I'm getting from this. She goes over to Jean. What is your name? Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. And how do I know it is you, Jean? And this last panel of Jean on this page is freaking beautiful. I don't know. Like, the artwork is simply amazing. Like, Storm looks phenomenal the entire way through. But this final panel of her, mm. Nice. She says, oh, I'm the only me that ever was Aurora. Like, come on, sassy. Um, before continuing, a question that I have is if we are simply copying the memories and the soul, per se, into this new body. And Jean was Marvel Girl. She seemed a bit out of it. I, I know the complaint or the concern with a lot of um, us, I don't know, mutant and prouders <laughs> was that she was acting a bit out of it like is she younger here does she have all of the phoenix history and whatnot because in this issue where we've given her soul to a different host body she seems very competent and regal and very much the gene of before of like x-men red but in the issue before when they were um killed in space she seemed very kind of out of it not as mature not as um developed in her powers as she was before and that may be just me but let me know if you agree if you or even if you disagree because i'd like to know um use the hashtag xdpod or xavier's dream pod now they embrace and she says this is my sister i know her um for me the storm and gene relationship i know that it is there but i can't recall it being close in the comics like offhand like I know that they're friends I know that they're pretty much best friends but I hope to see more of that in this upcoming Dawn of X only because to say it is one thing and to show this on the panels here that's great but I can't recall seeing it like fleshed out this is the friendship so yeah so anyways she says this is my sister. I know her. As do you. Her name is Jean Grey, but she is more than that. What is she? Again, the crowd shouts, mutant. And I love that. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is something we're going to see repeated throughout, like throughout the series, throughout the Dawn of Eggs. Because we've seen before that Hickman has done a good job of bringing certain phrases and questions and wording full circle in the very comic that they show up in. So I'm hoping... Cause I don't, I don't, I've never heard a mutant chant, like a specific chant for them, like mutant and proud or anything. Next up, she says, what is your name? The girl says, Penance, Monet St. Croix. And how do I know it is you child? And while she's doing that, Storm is reaching for M and she pulls back and she's like, no touching. No, don't touch me. And I, oh, it's so on brand for Monet. I love her black Algerian, regal, snobby, stuck up powerful capable monet my fave your fave could never she could molly whop and whoop mm, whoop every ass every mutant that's mm. if you ever do a who could win between so and so and so and so if you put monet on anyone i'm gonna say it's her i don't care if we know that she gonna get her ass beat i'm still saying it's monet so don't ever hit me with a who would win and you got monet she, versus anybody it's her she win. <laughs> so uh, Storm smiles and, you know, does a little chuckle. And she's like, this is my sister. I know her, as do you. Her name is Monet, but she is more than that. What is she? Like, that is, this is powerful. I would like to see, know who is the creative team, like, behind the scenes. Like, yeah, Hickman wrote this, but where's, where's the, where are you pulling this from? Are there any people who are helping to contribute to this conversation, to this script? Like, what, what is the writer and team like? Who is, who, who is helping you, you know, if anyone? So in the shadows, we have 
Eric and Charles speaking, and Eric is like, my God, I should be happy watching this. I should be weeping with joy, but Charles says, I know, over the years, man has killed millions of us, and so many remain lost, but this is the good work, Eric, and this is just such an honest conversation between two men, two leaders, two friends, two people who share history with the rest of this group, um, and Eric says, and it must continue until Genosha is spoken of not as a grave, but as a crucible. The work will continue until it is done. It is foundational. It is everything. They should have killed all of us when they had the chance. And it's like, man, <sighs> these folks have been through hell and back for decades. These people have been through hell and back for every single iteration that we've gotten of them. And yes, there's continuity and there's continuity errors, but I really honestly and truly feel like Hickman has done a really good job at taking the history and folding it into this new run so expertly that even after Hickman is done and gone from the X-Men titles, there's no way to go back to what we had prior to July 2019. There is no way to go back and try to because th this is this has been expertly done and you, there's just no way to just to go back this is shaking up like a lot of times you i personally feel like when you comes to events and deaths in comics they need to shake up the status quo like we had battle world for a while but like everything just went back to normal um after the ultimate universe imploded we got miles morales as a uh, fan favorite who was able to be pulled into the 616 cool the main Marvel Universe but there hasn't been too many things that have just stuck and I'm hoping that going forward you just shake some shit up because I'm tired of fanboys and fangirls being upset at you know certain iterations or how things are portrayed on screen or this new different run and why diversity this why inclusion that but it's like if we keep resetting the status quo to the same shit it was before this helps fuel their arguments, which I think everyone is entitled to their argument regardless. But if we continue to get stories like this that make things different, that move stuff around, the stories I read when I was a kid will be great memories that I can revisit, but I don't want to keep reading the same stories that I saw when I was a kid. I can't keep getting the X-Men, we're going to fight for and save the humans even though they hate us and then you do that oh but not all humans no i don't want to hear that not all human shit it's the it's it's a marginalized group of people who are constantly oppressed and murdered and attacked and vilified and systematically taken advantage of you create gigantic 20 story tall robots to kill them and yet I'm supposed to still keep fighting for you. Yes, we know not all humans are doing this. But again, there needs to be some reprieve. We need to be able to just breathe a sigh of relief and know that I don't have to get up every day, damn near kill myself, break my neck, my family, friends, and everyone just to save these humans who don't give a fuck about us. Oh, I'm sick of it. So yeah, I don't think we could ever go back to how things were before. So, uh... We says, today I'm filled with nothing but hope. So, Storm continues. Because she already did everything with uh with, with Nightcrawler while Charles and Eric were talking. And she says, and uh, this is my brother. I know him. As do you. Yes, his name is Nightcrawler. But he is more than that. What is he? Again, you can guess it. The crowd puts their fist in the air and they yell, mutant. Mutants all. And it was through their deaths that a great victory was won for our people. The first victory of many. See them for what they are. Heroes of Krakoa. Bruh. Oh my. The heroes of Krakoa. We got the five. We got this Krakoan world. We got these resurrected mutants. We have all of this amazing, fantastic work being done. Resurrection. The genetic base. Mr. Sinister has an extensive repository of mutant genetic material that he has carefully assembled in recent years. In it, he has the DNA of almost every known mutant on the planet Earth, carefully constructed with the help of Charles Xavier. These are the biological building blocks of each specific mutant. Their physical makeup along with what their power is. Without this, we have nothing. 
Note, this library, which began as solely biological samples, has now been converted to holographic sequencing. And while all current mutant modifications have been limited to optimal aging, it is believed that in the future, designer modifications will be possible. The host. In the process of mutant resurrection, the genetic base is introduced into organic matter and a mutant husk is created. And while this is not the essence of who or what any mutant is, it is the essential component that makes mutant resurrection possible. As traditional cloning procedures capable of creating a replicate shall grow in real time, any product of temporal growth is susceptible to change agents. The process of mutant resurrection. A group of five mutants work in conjunction to produce a biological husk. They are, Fabio Medina, Gold Balls, capable of producing a limitless amount of unviable biological eggs. Kevin McTaggart, Protus, capable of warping reality and transforming an unviable egg into a viable one. Joshua Foley, Elixir, capable of biologically kick-starting the process of life, initializing cell replication and husk growth. Ava Bell, Tempest, capable of temporarily maturing a husk to a desired age. Hope Summers, Hope, capable of enhancing and synergizing the other resurrection mutants' powers to ensure the success of each resurrection. Note, while it has not yet been tested, it's believed that upgrades, extensions, stand-ins could be assisted by mutants such as Sync or Mimic. The Mind, a backup of every mutant mind on the planet exists. Once a week Charles copies the latest version of every mutant mind to multiple redundant cradles located in several locations across the world. These backups are the essence of each mutant. How they think, how they feel, their memories, their very being. When a mutant husk is ready, Charles injects this backup of who they are into their husk, and that mutant is reborn. Note. There has been no experimentation regarding what happens when you combine a mutant mind with a husk that is not their own. Whew, now y'all already know I am about to lose my fucking mind. Everett Thomas, Sink, let me reread this piece for you because I don't think you understand how important this is. Note, while it has not yet been tested, it's believed that upgrades, extensions, Stand-ins could be assisted by mutants such as Sync or Mimic. Sync, bro, I have, when I tell you, I had a very emotional reaction reading this issue. I'm not even going to fucking hold you up. I've been reading comics for the better part of my life. I have enjoyed them. There have been stories that have just been fun, artwork I've loved, writers who've been great, uh, characters created that I'm like, oh, I love or hate them. It has been a very, very, very long time since I have had an emotional reaction to a book. Now, there have been scenes that I was like, oh, shit, I can't believe that happened. Or oh, I've been filled with joy, yeah. But do, I don't think y'all understand. I know this is probably going to sound silly. It may not. I mean, I'm talking to my people. I have been a fan of Generation X since I first laid eyes, hands, and reading onto this book. I have imprinted onto these characters. Every single one of them. It was in the pages of Generation X that I found my love for Emma Frost, the White Queen. It is where Banshee, Sean Cassidy, had become a... I don't want to say father figure because it wasn't that deep. He's a character on screen. But he was a very... I think the way I felt about this book, and I've said it before, is the same way that others have felt about like the original X-Men runs or New Mutants. Like Certain generations and ages of people who come to X-Men at a certain time, you get these books, and Generation X was that for me. It will still be my favorite book forever and a day, at the very least in my top three. Everett Thomas, a black boy from St. Louis, with immense power that even as a kid I realized surpassed so many of his peers and uh, and superiors. The potential for a motherfucker who can sink into the genetic makeup of anyone in his vicinity and not only utilize your power, but in a way that you had, one, not even imagined, and two, can't do yourself, and three, surpasses anything that you 
have going on with your own powers at this point. I have always, in my heart of hearts, saw Saint as an Omega-level mutant. Now, based off the description that we've gotten or the definition of Omega-level, he may not be. But I felt like in his class of mutants, he is the most powerful. Now, I may be... I may be, there may be some some discussion on that. And if you don't agree, please let me know and then give me your um, your person or your mutant who you think is more, uh, more powerful in his category. But I felt like between like him, Mimic, and Rogue, Rogue for her limitation being her having to physically touch you. And uh, Mimic, mm, nah, I think for me, the fact that Sync does not have to even be near you to take your ability and turn it on his head. Whoo! I could do a whole show dedicated to just that man. I, he was a little brown boy in this situation that I was able to latch on to. Just like Jubilee, this Chinese uh, first generation or second generation. How does that work? Her parents were Chinese natives, but they came to America and became wealthy. So was she? I think she's first generation. Anyway. If I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, XD Pod or Xavier's Dream Pod. But Jubilee, another person of color who has been represented throughout the comics, you know, time after time, but being paired with him. And then we got Monet St. Croix, this wealthy, know it all, super powered girl who is a brown girl. Jonathan Starsmore, a British white guy, cisgendered, conventionally attractive, but with this tortured backstory of no chest and no face even Paige Gunthry the hayseed country bumpkin white hair blonde hair blonde hair blue eyed white woman who is constantly chasing after perfection in the shadow of her brother and his success trying to make a name for herself it's so many god generation x just speaks to me who smells like teen mutants Smells like teen mutants. Okay, um, but I digress, y'all. I've I've gone on a whole tangent. That being said, Sink is coming back. You cannot make me believe that he is not coming back. I had an emotional reaction when I read because again, guys, you know, with this book, I read kind of old school where I cover up the right page while I'm reading the left, and I only slightly pull down the whatever I'm using to cover the page because I don't want to spoil it for myself. When I read, because I didn't read ahead, so as I'm reading this line and it says, upgrades, extensions, stand-ins could be assisted by mutants such as Sync. So I saw his name. I got teary-eyed. Now, I didn't cry. I wasn't boohooing like watching This Is Us. But knowing that my fave, who I have been wanting to see, who I knew was unfairly killed, for years is back. Oh man, I y'all, this is where that nerdy shit got real. I was floored. My bro, my stand in for myself. My he is back, bruh. I. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so um, I do want to note the Proteus problem. So Proteus, I'm not 100% familiar with him, but it reads that the Proteus problem, where the mutant power of his of his is directly associated with the destruction of his own body. So the more he uses his body, the powers, the more he deteriorates. So this problem has been solved because, again, remember, he's one of the five. He's one of the links in the chain in the equation that allow resurrection to happen. That being said, just a quick aside, I wonder if they can do the same thing for humans. But whatever. So this problem has been solved by always having a backup husk prepared for Proteus to inhabit when he burns out his old one. That being said, I would love to see what that process is. Like, what him burning out his physical body, what does that look like? And then how much time do we have? So if he only lasts, let's say, about a week do we just know that on that sixth day we need to be getting ready to transfer you? Or is it use your power as as much as possible and let's just transfer you like right before it happens? I wonder. Now, Proteus backup mutant husk is always created from the genetic base of Charles Xavier because that's his dad. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Moving on with resurrection, let's talk about the scale of the resurrection. 
Now, I want to say this. Remember when we discussed the plants of Krakoa in the space and there was um, some text about their Krakoa being able to handle an explosion um, of population of mutants. I initially thought as Krakoa ages and as the mutant um, community lives on Krakoa and thrives and procreates, we get more people. Now I'm thinking it's just resurrection. Like you're able to house all these different bodies beneath the surface of the Krakoan habitat. So um, on the scale, initially the resurrection capabilities on Krakoa topped out at around 1,000 mutants a week or around 200 a day interesting thing i used to work in a automobile plant uh and that was a lot of our goals was making a <laughs> thousand cars a week or 200 a day two to 500 but whatever okay so <laughs> the current estimate mutant population on earth is around 100,000 and growing the depowered population of mutants on earth is just under 1 million and the deceased population of mutants of earth is over 16 million primarily from genosha so that i love that hickman is harping on and standing firm in this genosian homicide or not homicide what is it uh, when you wipe out a bunch of people um uh i'll just say decimation but um yeah he keeps focusing on that like that's a very important part of x-men history and i feel like as the book has been exchanging hands through creative teams some stuff has been important and some stuff hasn't but i like that we're focusing on that now at that rate the resurrection it would take around 300 years to bring back everyone who died let alone how to address the depowered mutants and any that might die in the interim time period that being said think about that these mutants have been slaughtered. You have had 16 million in Genosha wiped out. Imagine that number, and I don't remember when it happened, um, but whenever the um, destruction of Genosha happened, like in our real time, in the real world, whatever year that was, think of it being 16 million mutants and think of if they were not wiped out, how that population would have increased all the way to 2019. And if that, you can't think of it that way, think of Native American, Indian people, and about what their population would be like if Christopher Columbus didn't sell the ocean blue. Like, think of how large of a population that would be. Like, man. Woo! Okay, so, um, however, as the resurrection machine has become more unified and better at being what they are and doing what they do, it's estimated that capabilities could possibly reach around 30,000 a week. And full Genosian resurrection can be achieved in 10 years. The complication here is that Xavier would have to download and resurrect 6,000 minds a day, which he is not capable of. By that time, there will be need to be worked around or a team of telepath trained to properly use Cerebro. So I think that there's several more Cerebros. I don't think this is the only one. Another thing I want to bring up with this is that, okay, let's say we do build, bring back the population of Genosha. Some of these people have been gone forever in a day. This feels a lot like Avengers Endgame. This feels a lot like the five-year time gap. Because if we take all of these people and we resurrect them. One, where are we housing them? Can Krakoa handle that? Let's say Krakoa can. Cool. But now you have all of these people who, again, this is my same concern with uh, Endgame. Some of these people, let's say, let's say uh, a mother and father had a baby, a boy and a girl. And with the Genosian destruction, the mother and father died. Then the, bro the brother died. The daughter was fine she lived on so she lives in current time and now we bring them back and i know we can bring them to optimal peak body all of that but do we do that with these resurrected people or do we just bring them back to what they were at the age that they died so now do we have a 24 year old daughter and then a three-year-old brother and i don't know let's say 
26-year-old parents because they were young when they had this kid. Like, there are, there's a lot more that goes into it past just saying we're going to resurrect all these mutants. You do have all this DNA. It has been cataloged. Um, but what happens there, like the specifics, the fine print, the details, that's what I want to know. Now, we may just gloss over it and maybe address it later, or maybe that's something that we're going to address in one of the five books that are coming out of uh, the end of this House of X and Powers of Ten run. But that's that's very interesting to me, and I want to see how will Hickman, has he thought about that? I would imagine he has, but whatever. Um, now, we want to note that extensive testing has shown that the mutant resurrection machine, the five, is not operating under duress or fatigue or even massive exertion. It appears that the, that, excuse me, it appears that they more likely that they do this, the stronger they become and the easier the process becomes. Like, I can buy that, you know, practice makes perfect. The more you do something, the better you are at it. Um, the experience has been described by all five as incredibly blissful, not in a narcotic, uh, narcotic, uh, narconized kind of way, but in a manner more akin to total fulfillment. So some enlightened, ethereal, spiritual feeling. Additionally, these five mutants appear to have become an inseparable family unit and are almost never apart from one another. Their symbiotic process appears to have extended beyond the union of their powers and to the mutants themselves. Some of this could be psychological, as on Krakoa they are universally revered. Not as celebrities, something achievable through works, but as cultural paragons, something sacred to be treasured. Now, I do like this. I would love to have a book of the five. Um, or maybe like some reality show, like the real world. Like I'd love to see, because that's a, that's a host of characters that we have not seen together. And that's one thing I do like about X-Men. I mean, we get the same kind of rotating, um, cast, the A-listers, but I do like, and I hope going forward, we shake shit up a bit and we get these people who wouldn't ordinarily be together. Uh, people who don't get as much shine. Like, we're one step closer to getting Shard back. We're getting Sync back. We're getting oh, so many. Like, I want. Like, and then what is Bishop and Shard's relationship like? Like, now, he, that's his sister. He loves her. The shit that they've been through. They are great-grandchildren of Gateway. Um, I believe Storm is their great-great-grandmother. I may be wrong, but I think in Age of Apocalypse or some kind of way she was. No, 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 not Storm. Monet was some kind of way like a ancestor of theirs all that being said i hope that gets sorted out and i want to see shard back in these books with her brother can you imagine how like i'm buying that first okay first of all any book that sync is in whatever is his flagship book that he's in i'm buying it every week it comes out period hands down i'm buying it secondly can you imagine Bishop and Shard in their own book now with diversity and inclusion being like the name of the game be it pandering or not having such amazing stories come out and having a book where on the cover you have two brown aboriginal people leading their own title whooping ass taking names great stories hopefully a creative team that is very much in line with the characters in the book Characters of color, people of color. But just imagine how great that would... Oof. Woo! Okay, so, Resurrection Protocol. Currently, Mutant Resurrection takes around 48 hours. A 12-hour gestational period for the DNA samples to take an egg and 30 to 42 hours to mature the egg to its desired metric maturity i think <laughs> however because of fears regarding duplication and other general questions of morality unless an actual death has been documented someone believed to be dead cannot be resurrected until their death has been confirmed or they have been undetectable by cerebro for one month now i think this very thing may lead into one of the books if i'm not mistaken either i've heard it wrong uh, excuse me, either I heard it and maybe are interpreting it wrong or I read it somewhere, but I think maybe X-Force is going to be that team, that book that goes out and investigates the death of music. I think that'd be phenomenal. Give me a procedural ninja spy 
type book where they are leaving Krakoa, going across the world, and enemies on American soil and still trying to... Because I would imagine, though Krakoa houses so many mutants, that every mutant in the world is not on Krakoa. Like, then there are still people who are manifesting powers. So, like, what do you do then? Like... Okay, say um, little Timmy, uh, my mother gave birth to me, this Krakoan shit happened, and then I made it to like six or seven years old. You know that I'm a mutant. We can see I'm a mutant. Hell, no, I made it to 14, 15, went through puberty, traumatic event, and my powers manifested. Would I be so quick to just leave my family? No, these, this is my family. But I know there's a safe haven in Krakoa, but let's say um, um, I'm human pass, passing. Excuse me. I don't have fur, gills, a tail dog ears like I'm just a regular looking human and I'm able to exist then you speak to the idea of passing and again I equate excuse me this to the black experience so then what do you do like in what is it Mama Flora's family where you have a black person who is white passing and uses that to their advantage but not in a way to uh, progress with their own community it's more or less let me assimilate and have a cushy life like do you do that or do you go to Krakoa and you embrace your mutant side but then you have your biological family that you've been with forever and a day you don't just turn your back on them it's just such such good things to come from this now good lord Note, it is expected that sooner rather than later, a mutant organization will be tasked with investigating mutant missing persons and suspected deaths and murders as to confirm when the resurrection process should begin. There you go. Note, it is also... Oh, and then that... Okay, so another scenario. So I am Timmy. I have this power and I'm a mutant. Great. Um, And I've lived my life. I've done a bunch of shit. I made it to 35. And now I'm off the grid. Now, when Xavier backs up these different minds, let's say I've been away from Krakoa. I've been away from all y'all for like, I was in hiding for a year and a half. Or no, no, let's just say a month. I've been for that one solid month. So you have only the last backup from when you last saw me a month ago. Everything I've experienced since then, you don't have that uh, in a labeled and category, whatever. You don't have that. So let's say I went through killing a bunch of people, having affairs, um, contracted the legacy virus, found a cure, um, just a bunch of shit happened. And then you back up this person because I'm found dead. I don't have those experiences, but the consequences from the experiences are still there. Do I still have to answer for those in a court of law when we find out, oh, I killed all these people, but... Oh, that wasn't me, but it was me and my conscience, but it was my other body. Additionally, let's say I've been gone for a month for whatever reason, Cerebro can't register me because let's say I'm knocked out cold in a coma. And then I awaken 12 months later, a year later, but you've already copied my consciousness and mind into another person. Now, do I have a twin? Is that, are we just twins now? Like, what do you, there's, there's so much room for error that this has me so excited for what's to come. Um, also note that it is also expected that should force, and they have force capitalized, so I'm thinking that this is the X-Force book. Okay, so it is also expected that should force conventions become necessary, their extra special mandate would supersede normal resurrection protocols. I don't know, the water ain't clean, y'all. So we're going to move on to the United Nations, where we have that meeting. This is the next day. We have a telepathic conversation between Emma Frost and Charles Xavier. She says, you're loving this, aren't you? Then again, what's not to love? Congratulations, Charles. You've won yourself a nation. Now, she's in her all-white, of course. She's drinking champagne from a champagne flute. We see Hank McCoy, Beast, in the background, shaking hands. And I love that. Looking at the page, there's a lot going on, a lot of different interactions, but the what we're reading, like these are, I would love to see this whole book played out cinematically, but this in particular where we are carrying on these conversations where shaking hands with the who's who or the UN and whatnot, but the only conversation that we're getting as the readers is the telepathic one. That's, I like that. So Charles says, it's our nation, Miss Frost. Do 
I suspect in no small measure to you. Why, whatever do you mean, Charles? I got the sense that the Security Council wasn't going to support us today. More than a sense, really, the French ambassador all but told me that the Russian ambassador would be voting against us. Imagine my surprise when she abstained. This is trial still. And here she goes, Emma. I would too, oh, excuse me, I wouldn't be too surprised. I found most humans to be impressionable. People change their minds all the time. Who knows? The ambassador could have had a crisis of conscience. A little humanity to go with her excess of humility. So, we're pretty much getting that Emma, in, you know, used her powers. Which, I, it went without saying for me. I was like, okay, they're not going to use their powers during this summit, during this vote. That wouldn't make any sense. But, Emma sure did. So, uh, compulsion leaves and... and oh, Y'all, I can read, but the way in which these folks are speaking is not my everyday language. Uh, compulsion leaves a mark on the victim, Emma. It also affects the one perpetuating the act, dominating the will of another. You see, often comes with a cost. She turns, are you accusing me of something, Charles? No, no, I just wanted you to know that I know. And a grateful nation thanks you for your sacrifice. You're welcome, she says. Now buy me something pretty or, I don't know, make me a governor of a province. To which he replies, To the first, what do you get the woman who can certainly buy anything she wants? And to the second, you already know I have much bolder things in mind. This was such a good scene. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I do like also the idea that just because you use your powers to sway or persuade someone to do something that they're not the only person affected. I don't know. Now, when he says um, compulsion leaves a mark on the victim, Emma, it also affects the one perpetuating the act, dominating the will of another. You see, often comes with a cost. I wonder if he means physically like Emma will be affected by this act or you mean like doing this is going to set off a chain of events that will have a price that we'll have to pay eventually. Like, I wonder... What does he mean by that? Also, Charles is looking sharp as hell in this black suit with this, uh, what is it, paisley black uh, vest. This art is amazing. So, let's move on to mutant diplomacy. Now, all current mutant diplomacy and the future security of sovereignty of Krakoa is dependent on relationships with human nations centering on their need for mutant pharmaceuticals and the Krakoan ability to meet them. More than 100 nations have accepted a trade deal with Krakoa, and while negotiations are ongoing with most of the world's remaining nations, some have rejected Krakoan overtures. Nations that have rejected a trade treaty with Krakoa are considered to be naturally adversarial. A list of those nations are as follows. Now really quickly, I wonder if we're going to get a manufacturing element in one of these books where there is a team on Krakoa that is taxed with making this drug that we've established in House of X issue one that is used for the trade deal. So non-treaty nations are as follows. Asia, the nation of Iran, the reason is ideological, such as uh, North Korea. Madripoor, however, is a political reason to reject Krakoa. In Europe, we have Latveria and Russia, who are both political reasons for rejection, which is interesting. I'd love to see how that plays into the larger Dawn of X. Uh, we have South America, where Brazil and Venezuela have political reasons to reject, but Santo Marco and Terra Verde have ideological. In Central America, Honduras, we have a political reason for rejection. Now, baby, in Africa... Wakanda, they do not need mutant drugs. This is highlighted in red. Like, I love this. I want to know what a Hickman Wakanda looks like. Additionally, Azania, Kenan, and Kenya are our, our Wakandan economic protectorate. So, I know this has to come back. Like, you're not just mentioning this for the hell of it. And then with the history between Storm and Black Panther, I'd love to see, like, does that history exist in this iteration of X-Men. Um, also, do they have their kids, which I doubt, but then how is this treated? How is this mutant issue treated and handled with Wakandan 
um, uh, characters and um, I don't know, just society, all of that. Like, what? Where does Wakanda fall? And then, what about a mutant from Wakanda? Like, with this intersectionality, do you stand up for your Wakandan? Like, I believe Gentle is Wakandan, the um, the African character from uh, X Men Red, the Jean Grey led book. Um, does he identify as solely mutant, or is he also embracing his Wakandan self? Like, what? Okay, so moving on, guys. Two days later on Krakoa, we see like three different um, Krakoan teleportation screen doors. And we see Wolverine. He's like, man, you sure about this? It's not too late to change your mind. Then we turn back and there's Eric and Charles. Now, Charles and Eric, to me, come off as a couple, a father and father of all these children. I just, that's just what they seem like to me. And Charles seems to be coded as queer more so than Eric, and that's just like, I don't know, It he just seems to be coded as queer in this book, in this one specifically, not in Powers of Ten, not in his uh, iterations, um, Different Lives of Moira, like in this book specifically, he seems to come off as queer. Now, um, he says, this is an opportunity to change what is exactly what I'm offering Wolverine. Um, he says, man, I gotta tell you, when you talk like that, I kind of want to beat you to death. Some people are beyond saving. Eric chimes in is if that were true would you be here would I so Sage and uh, Cypher are in the command center uh, they're saying there are so many uh, 20 in the first wave too many to count following that so Krakoa opens the gates and in walks Sinister um, now forgive me because I'm not going to be able to name all of these villains but that's pretty much what's happening we're getting all these evil mutants walking through the only one i identify in the first panel is uh mr sinister and this blonde chick looks kind of like iyanla uh iliana rasputin the chick on a dragon which that's going to come back into play in excalibur i saw a cover with apocalypse fighting a dragon uh next wave looks like celine in plate uh What's homegirl, the Morlock, who Storm fought, uh, who, yeah, I forget her name, but that's her. Uh, then Apocalypse comes out in the third. <clears throat> also, with Implate, what is this going, how is this going to affect Monet with them being on the same island together? So, Apocalypse comes out, he says, yes, yes, I know it's been too long. All these birds uh, start surrounding him. It's almost like Krakoa is giving him a hug. So Wolverine's like, man, you make yourself too comfortable, ain't you? Comfortable is an inadequate word, but yes, I am comfortable. Krakoa knows me, and I Krakoa. Is that so, bub? <laughs> Apocalypse continues, it is. I fought a war here before the world had any idea there was such a thing as mutants. Magneto, big head ass, I'm out. This is fitting, for we have fought in something and we have gained it. I want to be clear here, Apocalypse. There is not, excuse me, there will not risk losing this place because of uh, because of the value what is being offered. Okay, I just fucked that up. Um, so they pretty much ganging up on him like, man, motherfucker, you can come here, but you got to follow our rules. He says, and why wouldn't it be, Wolverine? For centuries I have fostered war and conflict. All in the hopes of mutantdom finally asserting dominance over this world. Now look at you. All of you. You have finally become what I intended you to be. I could not be more proud. And they like, <coughs> I don't want to hear that. You got to say these words. <laughs> so he says, we submit to the laws of this land. Be what they may. And acknowledge that from this day forward, we all serve a higher purpose than want or need. One people from this day forward. <coughs> Shit, excuse me. So in this, we see Moro. And it looks like, which I know it's not, but this other character looks like Cecilia Reyes. But Charles says, very well. Then let it be known. Spread the word. Krakoa is for all mutants. Welcome home. And him and Apocalypse shakes hands and shit is about to go down. Man. 
All right, y'all, we only got three more weeks left of this. We got Powers of X, Powers of 10, issue 5, House of X, issue 6, and Powers of 10, issue 6. I am over the moon excited for this. Let me know in this issue, do you think Xavier's dream was fulfilled or deferred? Do you think that it was realized or not? I'd love to know what you think. Uh, make sure to hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Again, use that hashtag XDPod or Xavier's Dream Pod. That's the official hashtags for this new or this current show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, email me, guys, if you want to get your voice onto the show, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Give me a little voice note. Have the subject line be Xavier's Dream, Xavier's Dream Pod, XDPod, something like that. Um, let me know what y'all think, man. This is. Shit is really getting real. Like, with three more books left, I'm going to get this collected ASAP. Like, as soon as they release it, I want it. I want all 12 together in my possession. Hardcover. I want it all. Um, so, yeah, guys, let me know. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you're feeling. Let me know if you agree with the stuff I said. You disagree. Make this a conversation. I'm very excited. I think Hickman did his job. I am Falling back in love with the X-Men again. He's giving me those nostalgic feels in such a modern way with a twist on the old retcons and continuity errors. And I love it. So, guys, that being said, um, thanks for listening in. Make sure to subscribe on all your podcast listening apps. Make sure to give me that rating and that review that does help in the Apple Podcast algorithm. Rate those five stars. Write a nice little review. Let me know and I'll read it on the show. <laughs> yeah, so... Again, y'all, thank you, and until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and let's all celebrate because my homeboy, Sink, my fan favorite, Everett Thomas, is going to come back soon. I don't know what book, but I'm looking forward to it.